Hello, and welcome to Print Run. My name is Eric Hain, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hi, Laura. Hi, everyone. Today is October 2nd, and for our first episode, we've got a great one planned. We're going to be talking about the upcoming Man Booker Award being announced. Uh, We're going to give out a pub tip at the end. Uh, We're going to make some bets and predictions on that award, so that should be pretty fun. Uh, But first, obviously, we should tell you who we are. Yeah, absolutely. So Eric and I come from very different parts of the publishing world, Mm -hmm. and we both kind of ended up in the Twin Cities being literary agents and doing our thing. Right. So, Eric, can you tell everyone here a little bit about how you came to Minnesota? Yeah. So, actually, today is my one-year anniversary with the beautiful dame, the Twin Cities. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be that corny the whole time, I hope. Um, But, (laughs) um, yeah, so I moved here about a year ago, and I had been working as an editor out in New York at a small little press out there, and I kind of got to a point where... For, you know, one of the reasons we're actually going to be talking about in the show, Um, it just, you know, it's tough to, you know, receive a publishing salary and live in Manhattan and do all those things and um, really stay ahead and feel like you're making progress in your own life, you know. So I was like, I'm going to try the publishing thing somewhere else. I'm going to try to find another great literary city in America, try to get entrenched in the scene there. And Minneapolis has... Um, far surpassed even my high expectations for it. I've really enjoyed it out here so far. And um, yeah, so I came out here and I was working as a freelance editor um, for and a while. That's where which we is, met. Yeah, which is where I met you. Yeah, so I uh, come to publishing through kind of the traditional side. I worked at a lot of different types of houses from everything mm-hmm. from cookbooks and art books all the way through to picture books and children's. Um, and ended up also in the Twin Cities, where I'm from. Mm, uh, so local. you might one of those locals. Hear, yeah, yeah I'm one of them locals, but County. I'm a St. Paul local. <laughs> and Eric has moved to Minneapolis, so we might fight a little bit over that. And just so you guys know, St. Paul is better. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I ended up being back in the city where I'm from. Uh, and when Eric and I met, I was kind of looking looking for some people to expand my my publishing world with Mm -hmm. and we ended up once he came on as an agent with red sofa we ended up having these work days yeah where we would sit and like kind of read queries and kind of read partials mostly just drink yeah there was a lot of drinking there still is a lot of drinking to be honest if it wasn't you know sunday afternoon we'd uh (laughs) we'd probably be doing that um yeah yeah, so lord's day it's it's the Lord's Day. So that's that's for football, everyone. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um so we we would hang out and we would work some and eat a lot and talk about publishing. And Eric lives in this very, very walkable area of the Twin Cities. And um we would always hang out there a lot because he works from home and needs some human interaction. Yeah, it's it's rough in there um during <laughs> the week because I you know, I work from my apartment and um you know, I live by myself, so we can get pretty quiet in there. And I end up doing things like talking at the plants and wandering around my home and opening the fridge and closing it for no reason and just kind of like making noise myself, you know. <laughs> so it's it's very good that <laughs> I have found um, someone to talk publishing with in person. And that's kind of where we, you know, the kind of the kernel of this was born is that we ended up having these conversations that felt, 
you know, engaging and worthwhile. Yeah, we would end up going for these long walks, mostly to the nearest Chipotle. Yeah. And we would have these, I, I mean, you call them talks and conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call them fights. Yeah, they were fights. About all of, you know, our, our different perspectives in publishing and our different opinions and yeah. about about genre, about authors, about taste, about life, about all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, very often we would change each other's minds. We would expand our views. We would do kind of all the things that you want to have in an, in an intellectual fight with somebody. Right. But we're no longer able to do that because we can't walk to Chipotle anymore. That's because, and I'm sure some of you listeners will empathize with this. Um, I, I don't. I, <laughs> I can't eat Chipotle anymore. It puts me in a coma. I, I eat Chipotle, and for the next day, I am asleep. I could fall asleep for literally 24 straight hours after that. It's terrible. Like I have to like pencil it in on my work calendar if I want to eat Chipotle. It's, it's too much, man. And I'm so disappointed. <laughs> like I just, I really so, am. So we basically, um, in or in in place of walking to my own food coma, uh, we decided <laughs> to talk online. So, <laughs> so thanks and sorry for listening. And um, I'm still gonna get Chipotle after this. Yeah. If anyone, if anyone who works at Chipotle is listening to this and wants to like come on the show and debate the the merits of their food with me, I'm more than happy to have them. But. I'll just sit in the corner eating chips and guac. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that's that's kind of how Print Run started. And we're really hoping to cover 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 everything, cover what I like to term the warts of the publishing business. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the reason I really wanted to do a podcast uh, with you and the reason I wanted to kind of dig into this kind of stuff is because. I, I feel, and I think a lot of people who work in the industry will um, he- hear this and maybe agree with it. Um, publishing conversations are way more interesting when they're off the record and when they're in those, um, you know, those happy hours right after the launch meeting, or you know, the weekends where you get together because you've got to go in to the office because you're behind on whatever edit or something. Um, you know, there's a lot of venting that happens in publishing, especially amongst those of us kind of in our generation. You know, there's a lot of um, complaining. There's a lot of finding new new ways to do old things. Um, there's a lot of this, um, I don't know, there's a lot of angst and energy in the people who are young in publishing. And there is kind of that age divide sometimes. But um, the point is the way publishing talks about itself to itself in these kind of quiet rooms is often a lot more interesting and engaging and intelligent than the way publishing talks about itself to others. You know, you see um, social media feeds from publishers or authors or um, anyone else, any, you know, a publication. And it's got this kind of genteel positivity to it that I think honestly is really sterile and boring and kind of uniform. And if you're in and the business, you just it don't rings believe so hollow it. because that's not how you feel in your life. And I'm not saying that print is going to be this big, long complaint session because it certainly isn't. But the point is that there's an energy that happens behind the scenes that is far more engaging. I think even to people who don't work in the industry, um, than whatever it is we usually present, which is this kind of, you know, ethos where every book is the best book they've ever read. Every single book is the one you should be um, going to the stores now to get. Every single award you know, matters the most. Every single thing is just kind of this vague, smiling positivity in the way things get presented. And it's, it's boring more than anything, but it's also, um, it also betrays a lot of the real intelligence that I think people 
who work in the industry, you know, actually have and kind of maybe feel stifled in the way it's presented to others. Um, we're hoping uh, with Print Run that we can harness some of that, that we can talk about the things that publishers and people in editors and salespeople, what they actually want to talk about, you know, all the things that they're not, maybe they don't feel they're, you know, allowed to say, you know, things like, um, you know, how tough it is to, to get paid so little and live somewhere so expensive and how tough it is to, you know, be in a field where there's not very much, you know, diversity yet, you know, and things like that. And I think um, we're going to be able to do a lot of those kind of conversations here and have some people on maybe, you know, in future episodes to kind of help us do that. Um, and we also want to celebrate all of yeah. the little things that publishing does right. that they don't get credit for. Well, that, so that's the other thing, right? Is like, I feel like there's kind of this, and, you know, we're, we'll definitely talk about this as we go on. Um, you know, publishing is always, you know, the demise of publishing is supposedly near at all times. And it's like, <laughs> and it's, 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 it's wrong, you know, and it's, it's kind of a conversation that's an easy cop out and it's boring and it's, it really undersells the innovative abilities and the intelligence of a lot of the people working in it. And um, we want to harness that. And more than anything, honestly, you know, as I hear myself say all this, we want to laugh at it. You know, the one thing publishing never does is really is laugh at itself. We want to, you know, make fun of stuff that sucks. We want to... Lots of stuff um, sucks, you We want to laugh at the, at the funny things. We want to... I don't know. It's... There's a lot more humor to be had in publishing than is currently being presented and it's kind of constant quest for validation and seriousness and all these things it's like no 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 no. that actually is just stupid and worth laughing at and we should do that absolutely and so eric and i you'll learn over the the course of this podcast it, we find different things very serious and very humorous in yeah. turn and i think it really stems from the parts of publishing that we work in mm -hmm. so we're both literary agents we work at the same agency yeah. We're even in the same room right now. What? Uh, <laughs> the, the call is coming from inside the house. The, yeah, the absolutely. Takes, the takes are coming from inside the house. The hot takes are coming from <laughs> inside the house. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a literary agent who deals with a lot of content that, that doesn't quite get the prestige that a lot of content that Eric deals with does. So I, I represent what I... Um, affectionately like to term the fun stuff mm -hmm. for me. So I do middle grade and young adult literature, which are both for kids. And then I do adult science fiction and fantasy mm -hmm. and romance and erotica. Yeah. So all of the genre stuff, all of the kids stuff, all of the stuff that's totally booming right now right. and creates lots of people being mad online, <laughs> just like how Eric is all the time. Yeah. Well, you know. And Eric does um, so, dad books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So dad books. Um, and what <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, you know, the kind of the more serious nonfiction things like history and science and, um, I don't know, the more academic kind of stuff on the nonfiction side. Um, and then adult fiction, general fiction, stuff that you would find on, um, you know, the new fiction table at Barnes & Noble, kind of things that you know, maybe would be candidates for some of the awards we're going to be talking about yeah, in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, know, you, know, you know what I mean. I mean, the sort of literary, quote-unquote, um, adult novels and... Literature. Uh, yeah, exactly. That kind of stuffy-ass, pretentious literature um, that we're also <laughs> mad at. <laughs> but absolutely love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, of course. It gets so much of the attention, um, but, but is generally a lot very, very serious. Like, you don't really get to laugh at that stuff. You don't get to laugh at the stuff. You get to laugh at the 
people working in the stuff. A lot of literary <laughs> authors in their quest to be so serious end up coming across like idiots, which is the best. Yeah. Um, so, but I want to, I want to kind of take us back to something a little bit more serious yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Bring it, bring down. So, the a little, yeah. so print run is going to be focusing a lot on news and kind of temporal issues in publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we're going to be on a constant watch for is something that's really serious to us. Yep. Uh, something we've all really been worried about. It's what we call the national nightmare. Yeah. The national nightmare. Uh, and we're the watchdogs. For we, this. we will always be the watchdogs, folks. You can count on Print Run to be those, you know, the people holding holding the man to the fire. And who's the man this time? George R. R. Martin. <laughs> so we've been know we've known for years that there's a book that he just isn't writing. Yeah. And people are waiting on Everyone it. Everyone is mad that he isn't writing this book. Yeah. So Print Run has um, a really exciting exclusive bit of copy about the book that George R. R. Martin is not writing this mm-hmm. week. Yep. Are you ready for it, Eric? Yes, please. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. A mysterious island, an abandoned orphanage, a strange collection of very curious photographs. It all waits to be discovered. The book George R. R. Martin isn't writing is an unforgettable novel that mixes fiction and photography in a thrilling reading experience. As the story that is not George's opens, a horrific family tragedy sets 16-year-old Jacob journeying to a remote island off the coast of Wales, where he discovers crumbling ruins of a children's home. As Jacob explores its abandoned bedrooms and hallways, it becomes clear that the children were more than just peculiar. They may have been dangerous. They may have been quarantined on a deserted island for good reason, and somehow, impossible though it seems, they may still be alive. Hmm. A spine-tingling fantasy illustrated with haunting vintage photography, the book George R.R. Martin is not writing, will will delight adults, teens, and anyone who relishes an adventure in the shadows. Man, I wish wish he'd sit down and write the book. I know. Yeah. Luckily for us, even though he's sitting down and pretty much not writing anything, uh, this book is already out, folks. The Thank book goodness. that I just talked about, the book that George R. R. Martin's not writing this week, is Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, <laughs> which uh, a film of the same name, based on the book by uh, filmmaker Tim Burton, who people are very mad at right now, mm-hmm. but Tim Burton, uh, it, that book is going, or that movie is releasing this week. Oh, good. Well, how topical. How topical. Thanks for nothing, George. <sighs> so, <All right. laughs> so the main topic today is the Man Booker Award. Um, it's award season in publishing. It's fall, which means that most of the big books are publishing. And most of the big books from last year are now up for whatever awards are available. And those include the Man Booker, the Pulitzer, the National Book Award, things like that. We're starting to get the long and short lists for is each of Is the Nobel these. Prize coming out soon? I'm not sure off the top of my head when they award that. Um, maybe. Doesn't matter. We're yeah. talking about the man booker today, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, so uh, we wanted to talk about the man booker specifically, even though we do have some lists for some of the other awards. Because, And maybe you'll agree with me on this, Laura. The man booker, to me, feels like the award for the book that people actually want to read. Um, it's the f- we are t- We're talking about fiction here, to be clear. Um, the Man Booker to me is my it's my favorite one and it's always been the award of the book that actually moves you. You know, I feel like a lot of the times when 
Um, we see the winner of the Pulitzer. We see the winner of the National Book Award. You get the sense that it's the book that would appeal to the most people, that it would be kind of the most vaguely interesting to the largest number of people. And I never feel that way about the Man Booker. It always feels like that's the book that is kind of taking a risk and not trying to appeal to everyone and therefore can be a little bit more specific, a little more interesting, a little bit more risk-taking. And because of all that, ends up being a lot more moving. You know, the Man Booker, to me, has always been the award for the book that keeps you up at night, that makes you think and that makes you want to really keep reading um, more so than these other awards. Um, and I think, I don't know, I think that's kind of a pervasive opinion throughout publishing. Yeah, you know, the the Man Booker, and to be fair, because I don't work in general sure. fiction, I hadn't really heard a lot about the Man Booker until Marlon James won it last year. Right. Marlon James won for A Brief History of Seven Killings in 2015, and Marlon is um, a transplant to the Twin Cities. So and he teaches at a local college here, so we like care about yeah, him yeah, a lot yeah. more. People definitely out here started caring more about the Man Booker the second a guy from Minnesota won it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, the one thing that, that I like about the Man Booker, having just kind of been jumped into this yeah, as yeah, somebody yeah. who just is a part of the local literary scene, is that the Man Booker is the only prize that I've ever come across that doesn't separate the prestige of the award with the um, economic benefits. Right. So, so it's an award that very much like has a goal of being um, a boon to somebody's career right. of sales. It promises sales. So here's here's a line from their website, themanbookerprize.com. Um, Okay, so fulfilling one of the objectives of the prize to encourage the widest possible readership in the best in literary fiction, the winner and the shortlisted authors now enjoy a dramatic increase in book sales worldwide. It's It seems so, especially in publishing, where so often prestige and acclaim are separate from sales. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you hear writers complain about this a lot, and they're very right to do so, that... Um, you know, the best books don't sell the most. Um, and the man book kind of, I think, has tried to, you know, push it back against that. It says, we're going to pick the best book and we're going to make an active effort um, through the prestige of this award to help sell it because that's what we feel is important. And I think I think it's a great mission. I think that um, too often money is treated as this kind of, um, not to make a pun here, but a sellout. Um, <laughs> it's one of the books in the, on the short list from Paul B. We'll talk about it in a sec. But um it's, I think that that confluence is really important, and I think that it's honest to simply say the people who write the best books should get paid more and should get the, you know, um, the audience that they deserve because that's, I don't know. Because if you're that good of a writer, you don't need to be broke to create good exactly, art. Exactly, exactly. So I, I like that they're honest about that bit of their mission. And so um, all things said, we're going to focus on that one as opposed to the National Book Award or the Pulitzer. Today. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to kind of go through the six... So yeah, we've got a short list. Yeah, we've got a short list of six books, and um, Laura and I, at the end of this, we're going to talk about each one a little bit, and we're going to eventually make um, a prediction about which one we think is going to win the award. Um, and we've got a little bit of a, bit of a bet, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do, Eric. So if I get it right mm-hmm. and Eric gets it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Man Booker Prize is announced, yeah. the very next episode, he will be doing a three-minute dramatic reading 
of Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. Yeah, that's going to be really good, by the way. But luckily, I won't have to do that um, because I'm going to win because I am dead certain of my pick this year. Dead certain. <laughs> All right. So what? What? What if I um, lose? We're going to make Laura read from her favorite human on earth. Um, a man she deeply respects and admires and has followed for his entire um, career, and that's, of course, Jonathan Franzen. Um, We're going to make Laura read aloud from the corrections for a nice solid few minutes in a beautifully rendered reading, I'm sure. I'm very excited. <laughs> and we're we're going to have everybody do these readings cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, no, yeah, we're going to just pick the excerpt. You know, I'll be sure to pick one with a lot of um, older white male angst. I know that <laughs> I know that's your thing. So we're gonna. <laughs> and uh, I can just open up a page and point, and yeah, you'll yeah, be yeah. doing just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two things of note here. Um, the first is that we do not know each other's predictions, and we haven't talked about it or anything. We've kept that private so that the moment when we reveal can be as authentic as possible. Um, and the other key feature to this uh, predictions episode is that we haven't read any of the books. Not a single one. <laughs> Not a single um, one. And honestly, honestly, though, it's tough to read all the books that are out there. Um, and oftentimes, I feel like it usually the way it usually happens is you read the books after they win the awards. Um, it's pretty rare, I think, to have read the entire shortlist of a Man Booker list or a um, you know a Pulitzer or anything like that. But really, I think this is going to help us in terms of picking a winner because similar to the Oscars, when you've seen that one movie. That's on. That's in the running for best picture. You always end up thinking that that's going to be the one that wins, and that that could only be the only possible winner because it was so good, and you've never seen any other one. So who cares about those? Um, and it's similar with books. I think I know that whenever I've read one of the books on one of these lists, that's always the book I'm just dead certain is going to win. So um, really, my ignorance is a weapon here, which is how I treat my whole life. So. We're just we're just leaning in. Uh, yeah, to- yeah. <laughs> we're going to be just making up credibility as we go with a lot of this stuff. Awesome. But, so on that note, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's start with the start. first book that's the shortlisted for the yeah, Man yeah, Booker yeah. Prize in 2016 that we have not read. Sure. The Sellout by Paul Beattie. Mm-hmm. So this novel is a satire. It's the only satire on the list. And it's a lot about... You know, it's a it's an American book. It is the only American book on the list. It's mm-hmm. about the Constitution. It's about urban life. It's about being black in America and the civil rights movement um, and racial equality. And it basically, you know, without getting too much into it, the main character, uh, his town has been removed from the map. Yeah. And so he decides to reinstate slavery and segregate the high school. Yeah. Uh, so definitely satire. <laughs> yeah. So it's got it's got some satire to it. It's got obviously um, a very um, you know it's got a racial component very much at the forefront in terms of the themes and the plot. Um, it's got questions about the Constitution, questions about the Supreme Court, things like that. Um, and those are all, at least to my mind, uh, features that could make you know a book like this, especially when presented with that kind of edgy satire. Very way that timely. Writes. Um, you know, it's time. Yeah, exactly. It's timely. It's kind of, I feel like this one has a lot going for it in terms of context. Um, there's one key thing I think it does not have going for it though, in the broader context, yes. and this might, this might be its downfall. Um, and that of course always comes back to Oprah Winfrey. <gasps> um, yeah, we're going to loop this all the way back to Oprah, like, oh, we, like, like all things do. Um, so this is a book that talks about slavery, um, which is similar to another book up for an award right now that talks about slavery, the underground railroad by Colson Whitehead. And it just seems to me that I would find it very unlikely for both the Underground Railroad and 
for the Underground Railroad to win the National Book Award and the sellout to win the Man Booker. Man Booker. And I think that uh, the Underground Railroad is going to win the National Book Award. Um, I would agree with so, that. And of course, that's because of Oprah and her. Well, it's because the book is really good. But but, but it's also um, because of Oprah. Yeah, you know, Oprah loving really pl- Colton yeah, Whitehead. So really, I feel that Oprah has done Paul Beatty a tremendous disservice. Uh, we'll be getting a public apology from her any day now. Um, so yeah, no, I really, though, um, back to, you know, the serious bits of this book, I think that it's timely nature. I think that it's got that kind of cutting satire aspect of it. And I think that there's a lot here to like in terms of purely speaking in terms of its awards potential. I'm sure the book yeah. is very good, but, um, I think there's a lot of reasons this one could win. There you go. And I think, uh, time to, time to move to yeah. What's hot next? milk, hot milk. Um, I'm calling my memoir hot milk. Someday. I thought you were calling it good, not great. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, yeah, the the hurricane story, uh, good, not great. But yeah. so Deborah Levy wrote Hot Milk, uh, and this is a book about motherhood. It's about mm-hmm. um, an infirm mother and her adult daughter who is kind of taking care of her, and they go away for kind of this last ditch treatment, and kind of things things uh things come to the breaking point i'd guess yeah but my favorite part eric do you know what my favorite part about this book is let's hear it it's not about the book it's about how deborah levy this author has a book right now called hot milk and she has a series of short stories called black vodka so this is kind of her thing apparently the counterintuitive beverage title Mm. um which i'm for it you know i like both those i love beverages um (laughs) so (laughs) Um, I think, I think um, you know, I like the title. Obviously, this is one that seems to be um, more introspective on themes like femininity and sexuality and kind of that, you know, inner workings of your own psychology, um, things like, you know, the main character is an anthropology student. So there's all this um, thinking about, uh, you know, what it means to be a person. And it's got that kind of inner focus. You were an anthropology student at one I, point. I have an anthropology degree. Did, I do. Were you thinking about hot milk all the time? Do you feel... <laughs> you know, I was more thinking about, like, dead bones, mm, but uh, hot, milk, hot Milk is right there. Yeah, Dead Bones would be a good mm-hmm, title. Yeah. You can't copyright titles, folks, so feel free to take that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, like, this this book isn't jumping out at me as yeah. as a potential winner, but Deborah Levy is has been shortlisted for the Men Booker before, mm-hmm. just uh, just a few years ago. So clearly she does something that they like. So that's a point that's a point in her favor, I think. The getting shortlisted before and not winning is a reason to pick. It's like uh, why Leo won exactly, for the revenue. Exactly. You want the one who paid the dues that got close but no cigar, so then it's a feel good story when she does win. Um, this is all fine and good, but there is no way that Hot Milk is going to win the Man Booker Award, and I'll tell you why. Um it's because there's too many rhetorical questions at the beginning of her Jack copy, which is my number one pet peeve with um, with Jack copy. It's the most irritating thing. I'm sure the book is wonderful. I'm sure and the rest of the copy is even quite wonderful. Um, is but it? it's oh man, I hate when the rhetorical questions start. <laughs> um, let me let me read aloud from what we have here. It's in the it's in the first person of uh, the main character. That's I what assume. I hate. Yeah yeah yeah. So here we go. I have been sleuthing my mother's symptoms for as long as I can remember. If I see myself as an unwilling detective with a desire for justice, is her illness an unsolved crime? If so, who is the villain and who is the victim? 
That was my um, introspective uh, feminine sexuality voice. Um, how did I do it? I, uh, <laughs> I think I think I think it'll I think it's good. I think yeah. it'll get there. Yeah, you know, that's, we're definitely gonna be working on it. Um, the one other fun fact about hot milk is that when you type it into Amazon, you literally get. <laughs> um, if you don't put the books filter on, you literally get a bunch of milk products first. Um, so that's good. Um, it's tough to find like hot maternity milk. bras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. One time I did it once, and some maternity bras came up. One time, <laughs> uh, this time, let's see what we got. Um, before I clicked on it, we have oh yeah, a lot of organic, premium pressed coconut milk. Um, so that's nice. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so Google thought you wanted a maternity bra. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Um, that speaks well of really me. good for the keywords. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> Moment of silence, please, for Eric's search history and his targeted <sighs> yeah, yeah, ads. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this next book uh, confounded you a little bit. It really did, yeah. So this this book is His Bloody Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, the subtitle is Documents Relating to the Case of Roderick McRae. And it's by okay, Graham so, McRae Burnett. That's yeah, so, a lot of McRae. Okay. <laughs> that is a very robust amount of McRae. Um, but before I say anything else about this one, I walked into today, and I guess I'm just an idiot, um, thinking that there actually were documents about Roderick McRae with a case that had gripped the British public newspapers or something. So I kind of thought this was an actual kind of true crime, putting together some documents and telling a story thing. But Put into a novel. Yeah. So it's a... Because this is a fiction this prize. This is all... It's all... Yeah, but that's the thing. I was like, why is this even up for the fiction prize? I was going to get all mad about it on this show, but... Um, apparently that's a really about the dumbest thing I could think. It's about all this book. fake. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Marlon for a brief history of seven mm-hmm. killings, like his book is based in fact. Yeah. It's based in really true right. things. And another right. book that we're going to be talking about a little bit later is also based in very true fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that Graham McRae Burnett was like related to this Robert McRae guy. Right. So that, or that's, Roderick that's kinda, McRae I thought guy. maybe he was like kind of doing a family history and he, project. And he yeah. like had, well, I yep. thought that he had done kind of like a Truman Capote thing yeah. where he like novelized yeah. some true crime, but then like he had added more fiction to it. Mm-hmm. Lies. All lies. So he invented all of it. Which is good for a fiction it. prize. It's it needs, great. <laughs> you like, need lies. <laughs> if, it, if you can't tell if it's real or not, that's that's a sign of some yeah. really good fiction. Yeah. So basically, this is about some fictional, uh, a trio of fictional murders in 1869 that grabbed the British public before Jack the Ripper, before, I don't mm-hmm. know any other British serial yeah, yeah, killer yeah. other than Jack the Ripper. Yeah, he's kind of the one. Um, um, but he was in 1888, so this is before then. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of like part fake true crime and part um, trial. Mm-hmm. And it's and the the innocence is never like it's it's always that the guy is guilty. It's just why yeah. is he just not fighting for it, which is yeah. interesting. But I don't know. I, I just was super thrown by the two McCrays and you were super thrown by the fact that this actually is 100 percent fiction. <laughs> um, so one thing that is worth bringing up with this book and um, the last one, too, um, most of these books are not available in the U.S. yet. I guess Hot Milk just became available in July. Hot Milk. Hot Milk. um, Became a, you know, it was published in the U.S. by Bloomsbury in July of this this year. But uh, most of these, um, this is a British prize, as as we said, and um, most of these books aren't yet on the shelf. So I guess for me... Um, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't ever seen any of these books other than other than Paul Beatty, who's been on the the shelf for a while now. But a lot of these are publishing 
this month, um, and even this week, um, we're recording on October 2nd, and like this coming Tuesday, you know, the same day the print run drops. Boop, boop. Um, yeah, so, um, but a lot of these publishers are trying to do the thing where you win the prize and then immediately hit that pub date with the beautiful man book or sticker on it and just sell a gazillion copies. And, you know, good luck to all of them, but um, some of them are coming out with the lame little shortlist sticker. At least it's better than the long list sticker. <laughs> oh, we'll be making fun of the long list sticker in a minute. But um, yeah, no, I mean, obviously the, sh- the short list is a perfectly um, not, it's not a perfectly good thing to have won. It's an incredible thing to have won. This is a really, you know, highly contested prize, obviously. But um, yeah, so it's interesting that for American audiences, most of these books have not been read. That's p- part of our defense, actually, for why we haven't read these books is they're not, they're not here yet. Um, so what's next? Uh, so Eileen, Eileen, Eileen by a woman named Otessa Moshfe. Is that how you pronounce it? I have I, no idea. <laughs> I'm, I ho- was hoping you wouldn't call me out about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I will. Cause I'm, I'm just lucky that I didn't have to say it because I don't know how to, I you don't know how to. threw me under the bus. Yeah, I um, definitely did. I, I'm going to Google that mm-hmm. and we're going to figure it out. But so this book, um, is very violent actually yeah. it's one of yeah. those like hot thrillers mm-hmm. you know those psychological literary yeah. thrillers that are super big right now um it's about a woman who's kind of stuck at home with her abusive and infirm father again mm-hmm. parenthood um and she meets a, a woman at her work and you know you think it's going to become this really wonderful friendship to get her out of her situation and then uh Shit hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah. So that one is going to be made into a movie for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This does have the kind of feel for a book that you'll see a film from. But um, so a few things. Um, Otessa, from what I can tell based on her bio here, and I've never I've never read her work, but she has that, you know, young superstar pedigree thing going on that a lot of these prizes really like. She's uh, she's won a push cart. She's won an O. Henry. She won, she's got a grant from the NEA. She's uh um, you know, she's been shortlisted for a bunch of big prizes. Um, you know, she's kind of that young up and coming, um, from the Northeast, kind of that, you know, the archetype, right? Like if you're designing the prize winning author in a lab, um, I feel like a lot of, you know, tradition and history would tell you it kind of, it kind of looks like, it kind of looks like this. Um, but I also think that that is probably, you know, working against her for some of the same reasons we think hot milk maybe has a chance that, you know, she's got plenty of time to win this award. She doesn't need to win this award yet. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Um, obviously, it seems like, um, you know, a quality book with a lot of interesting, you know, themes and stuff to it. One thing of note. So I was looking I was looking at Goodreads scores for each of these books. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah that's advanced statistics, that's called, um, mm. in the business. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, this one rated out. The worst in terms of really? Goodreads scores of all these. This one got a three point three two out of five, um, which was the lowest, but not by much. Surprisingly, one thing I did find interesting um, with the response, and maybe this is true. You know, I don't go on Goodreads that much, but um, really, the scores didn't get much higher than just a flat four. Um, His bloody project got a four point oh seven out of five, and that was the highest. Uh, BD got a three point. Uh, let's see here, a three point eight. Um, Hot Milk got a 3.48. Um, so kind of in that range. Like, I don't know why that is. Like, why can't people just say they loved the book? <laughs> um, but 
Anyway, if Goodreads is your indicator for whether or not a book has real word of mouth or swell or anything like that. Um, then clearly his bloody project is then, winning. Yeah, then Eileen is, is not your pick here. Mm. But um, I expect that we're going to see some prizes like this from Otessa in, in the future. Um, so Eileen is published by Jonathan Cape, which is a British publisher uh-huh. uh, who also publishes the next book on our list, yeah. which is All That Man Is by David... Sazley. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this book is about a bunch of dudes. It's about men. It's a book by men. <laughs> For men. With men as main with, characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so this is really just about you know a a bunch of different men, nine men specifically. Um, in different parts of the world, doing different things mm-hmm. to understand what it means to be alive. And so you've got really young ones and you've got men in their old age and they kind of come together um, and apparently stakes get high. <laughs> I don't know what that means, <laughs> the but stakes, stakes get high. folks, have gotten high. Yeah. Um, so so this is this is another like we just said this is another British novel it's publishing this week actually from Grey Wolf Press. Shout out to the local Minneapolis scene here. Whoop, whoop. Um this was one so uh Laura and I obviously before the release of our first episode we'd done a bunch of practice episodes and we did an episode similar to this one where we kind of talked about the long list kind of thought about which ones might make the cut for the short and this one was my pick. For, so a few months ago when we or a few weeks ago when we did this kind of thing, um, all that man is was the one that I thought was really gonna um, surge ahead. I don't know that I feel that anymore based on what's in the final pool, but um, I think this is a this is a good one. I mean, it's got it's kind of that ensemble novel. It's got nine characters that kind of shift perspectives. Nine is nine is pretty short based on the fact that a brief history of seven killings, which won last year, had like eighty. Yeah, I don't know yeah. going down to nine. Well, so that's so that's the thing, right? Let's. I mean, thinking again about this prize, um, there's a lot that was, you know, I, I was trying to think about it in terms of, you know, what kind of book kind of pushes boundaries, like *Brief History of Seven Killings* does. And you know, you think about that book; it was 700 something pages long. It was set in Jamaica. It featured a lot of, you know, vernacular that was tough to read if you were reading it. You know, it was a challenging book in a lot of ways that wasn't always smooth to read. It was an incredible book. I loved it, by the way. I mean, go read it now. But um, I was trying to think which of these ones kind of represents that sort of challenge. And um, this one kind of strikes me as maybe one like that in that it's got a lot of different, it's trying to do a lot, you know, it's doing a lot of different things. I guess uh, um, His Bloody Project kind of strikes me in that kind of pushing, you know, limit pushing, kind of taking a risk with some sort of lots of voices, structure, a lot of voices, some weird formatting. Um, you know, trying to find something like that that maybe, you know, can work in its favor. This one, this one, and uh, uh, his bloody project both strike me as ones that maybe could fit that category. Yeah, and then we have uh, the final book in our mm-hmm. short list: "Do Not Say We Have Nothing" by Madeline Thien. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this this is a Canadian book or a Can- from a Canadian author. Um, and it's it's a and she's a Chinese Canadian author, uh, and it's a story about a woman who flees China after Tiananmen Square mm-hmm. and moves in with this family in Canada, um, and so it kind of it's it's going across time. It's talking about politics. It's talking about nationalism. It's talking about identity. It's talking about relationships. And if you you mentioned earlier, you made the point that you think. Um, 
this is a prize that kind of rewards um, personal experience being tied in to, I don't know if you said that on the air or off. I said that off the air, um, I think. So you, anyway, you made this point before we started recording that you felt that a lot of these you know, awards went to novels that seemed to have an author with skin in the game. That seemed to have, you know, directly reflect an author's personal experience where they were writing from the heart. They weren't just making something up, so to speak. Yeah, um, Marlon, Marlon uh, left Jamaica the same yeah. way that Bob Marley left Jamaica after right. his attack, right. um, which is the basis of his book. Uh-huh. The previous year's winner is Richard Flanagan, who did The Narrow Road to the Deep North. Right. Um, which is about the Thailand, the construction of the Thailand-Burma Railway. Mm-hmm. Um, and Flanagan's father is a survivor yeah. of that of that project yeah. and actually died on the last day right. that he, you know, the day that he finished yeah. this book. So there's a lot of skin in the game with those two authors. Mm-hmm. And I'm a really big fan of viewing awards as not, you know, just in terms of the shortlist and what has happened this year. But I like to look at the award winners as a canon um, because, hey, English major. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I think that in in the discussion of who's going to be winning this year, I think we have to read it in terms of the other books, but also we have to read it in terms of what is previously won. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and the two really big things in the past few years that have connected the winners mm-hmm. is a lot of violence and humanity in the face of violence and a personal connection. And this book has both of those I was going to say things. that points straight at this one. Yeah. Um, the author is uh, Chinese and now living in Montreal, if I have that correctly. You do. Um, so, yeah, this one kind of has that similar tie. I mean, so this one is also publishing in America this month um, from Norton. Um, so it's a grant a book from the UK, if anyone cares about UK publishers. Um, hello to our audience overseas. <laughs> we care about you yeah, yeah, yeah. and your UK um, publishers. Our worldwide, our worldwide appeal. Um, but, um, yeah, so... That's that's the short list, and I think that we both each have a pick, but we should we should spend a second... Um, you know, with you know, this is a cut. So the long list was like what twice this long. Yeah, yeah. There were seven other books. Yeah. Um. So from... here, here's what I have to say about the long list. You know, just looking at it as a gl- at a glance, is that I assume that anytime any prize is given for anything. I just assume that Coetzee is going to be on the long list for it. And sure enough, <laughs> he is. Yeah, yeah. So he's gonna he's just one of those dudes that's just always on the long list for stuff and he should he's a, he's a wonderful writer obviously but like um i i feel like prizes that aren't in books you know if we were like giving out employee of the month at some like corporation i kind of expect coatsy to be in the running for it this is jm coatsy <laughs> yes. uh um, yeah he's a two-time winner of this award yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's also won the nobel prize yeah, for so, literature yeah so we just i just feel like he's just a safe bet to just kind of stick on the list you know at any given point you know, whatever it is you're trying to award. Oh, yeah, what we need to fill a slide. Just get Coatsy on there, what he's got. You know, call him up. See <laughs> he's very prolific and yeah, very yeah, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. No, he's great. Um, so the funniest part with long list awards, I feel like, is trying to f- – and I've done this a few times back when I was working on the more in-house editorial side of things – is figuring out, um, first of all, how big a long list is and therefore – if it's worth writing that on the cover of your book when you're about to publish it, um, because you can never, no one can ever quite tell 
how prestigious a long list is, I think. And obviously with something like the Man Booker, it's, you know, it's prestigious. This is a big award. But with other stuff, you know, you get long listed for some regional things or you get long listed for, um, I don't know, some smaller prize. And I remember how we've always had all these conversations about should we even write that on the cover? Is it worth putting out a press release about this? And the answer was usually yes, but it was always a very funny thing of deciding if we had actually accomplished anything or not, um, which is a, you know, it's kind of a funny conversation. But Which yeah. is why Man Booker is so important because it tells you there is a financial <laughs> benefit for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my thoughts and prayers to all the publishers and editors working with their newly long-listed books that didn't make the cut and they're now trying to figure out how to Hype that as something other than being the first losers, um, which you are. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing, you know, and I, I want to get to the bet because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I live for. Right. Um, but one thing that I find really interesting looking at the long list and then looking at the books that have been pulled out of the long list mm-hmm. to represent the short list. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of not similar books, but books with similar bits to them so for instance a satire made the list the short list but left in the long list was an allegory Mm. um you know there's there's you know left in the short list is the fake documents of a real life Mm -hmm. trial left in the long list is a novel within a novel yeah so that's that's a really good point and that kind of gets at kind of the subjective nature of these prizes um or the, or the strange nature in what makes various cuts in the eventual awarding of that prize, that it kind of depends who's next to you and what kind of books they are. Like you could have written you could have written the second best book in the whole world and not make the shortlist because the first best book is a little bit like yours. Was like yours, exactly. So I feel like the shortlist is often sort of a meant to represent the swath of types of things submitted. Um, They're so, creating a canon. Right, exactly. So that gets to your point about trying to, yeah, make a canon and a list, you know, eventual a list of winners that represents a variety of things that um, you can look at and really treat as representative of the amount of prestige you're trying to inject your award with. So that someday you can say this award will directly lead to or directly lead to worldwide fame and sales through the roof, um, which the man booker now claims to deliver. And I think by and large uh, succeeds. Yeah. One of the, one of the winners, and I can't remember which one now has sold over 2 million copies, which is a lot of copies. So it's, it's an interesting award in that way because it's a mix of uh, commercial appeal and quote unquote literary merit. Um, And and I like that. Um, So I think we should get to who we think the winners are. And I I want to do that. First, um, why don't you start and why don't you tell me, you know, as you lay out your case for who you think it's going to be, why don't you kind of give me your method for why why you picked it? Okay, so my method, like I covered a little bit before, had to do a lot with taking into account why or what won in the previous years and what kind of overall connection Mm -hmm. there is. Um, so I decided to go with the, the violence thread. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also have, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the man booker is, you know, the one that wins is really the ones that the judges enjoy the most. That's true too. So let's talk, let's actually, let's bring that up for a second. So who do we have as the judges? Um, oh boy. 
I just closed no, that no, tab. I'll, I'll pull it up. Um, so, so the judges, the thing, the thing to remember about the judges uh, is that these are not just all really famous novelists. Mm-hmm. There are academics. There are journalists. There's actually an actress mm-hmm. in this year. So they it's kind readers of readers more than anything. Right? It's yeah. readers, and they yeah. add, but they're like people who are involved in the intellectual community mm-hmm. um, and have a and kind of have a thread on a larger on a larger voice so, to a right, larger so audience. I, you know something about these judges. I, uh, you did a little bit of research. I do not. I'm looking at their pictures here in a panel. We've got three dudes. We've got two ladies. Um, everyone seems kind of old. <laughs> one um, person of color. One, one person of color. Who is a man. Yeah. Um, so you've got that kind of swath. Like you said, you've got, we've got a historian. We've got an actress. We've got a writer. Uh, we've got a man who was shortlisted once for the man booker himself. Yes. Um, so, yeah. They so it's yeah, it's a it's a good spread, and it's about what they enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, what I also kind of did is I kind of looked at where publishing is at overall. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my my approach. Uh-huh. Tell me about your approach. So, I I don't know. I always pick. Or I always think about awards and I always think about publishing overall. And I know it doesn't quite relate or it's not a perfect analog when you have a panel of individual judges. But it always, to me, feels like it's about groundswell. And it always feels to me like it's about buzz and who's talking about what. And this is going to sound unscientific, but I think it's real. It's which book have I heard about the most? Which book have I seen the most? Which book is there staring at me every time I think about books and turn around? And then kind of to your point... Which book kind of ties, which feels like the most appropriate book for the moment? And um, for me, and I'll tell you, I'll start, I'll tell you who I picked. I picked, um, I think that Paul Beatty's The Sellout mm. is, is going to win the Man Booker Award, um, even though even though Oprah is out is out to get him with it. <laughs> um, no. Um, I, think, I think that Paul Beatty's going to win this. Um, I think that his themes, I think he's talking about a lot of things that are really important to um, America right now, and obviously this is a British award, but I think that when you get something that really ties in to the culture it comes from, you know, as a really hot button issue, I think that matters. And this is a book um, where there's a police shooting, there's a uh, black ghetto in Los Angeles being wiped off the map, there's, um, I don't know, it just seems like the sort of book that kind of touches on a lot of the, you know, problems that face this country right now, and it's written in that kind of sharply humorous way um, that really often is the best way to talk about it. And I think that all those things considered, um, especially given, um, you know, the kind of reputation Beatty has, to me, this is the one that's going to win. The New York Times review was excellent. And you can always tell, I think, when a New York Times review is really feeling it, when it stops talking about the book and starts talking about the situation. and starts talking about the broader situation and starts talking about how the book made him or her think about the world. You know, any good book, I think, for all of us makes us think about things beyond the book, whether it's ourselves, whether it's a situation. And um, it sure seemed like this one is doing that to people. And it's on every shelf. It's been on every shelf for what feels like forever. Um, it's staring at you. It's winning things. It's getting acclaim. It's got that kind of um, and this is a really unscientific word, especially for any of you who are also, you know, interested in sports. Um, it's really got a lot of momentum, and um, 
I don't know. I, I just I, the energy around it to me really strikes home. I think about some of the, um, you know, where publishing is right now and the things it's trying to bring in more. You know, it's trying to bring in more diverse perspectives. It's trying to bring in um, more experiences other than the, I don't know, the white Upper East Side writer. Um, and I don't know. So this this is my pick uh, for all those reasons. How about you? My pick is different than yours. Oh, good. So, so, we... so <laughs> that's good because now one of us. Um, or both of us is going to lose. Um, yes. So how exciting! How exciting! Um, so my pick is incredibly unscientific. Uh-huh. Um, I am voting for Eileen. Oh, okay. Eileen. Eileen. So you're going with the with the the young guns, huh? I'm going with the young guns. <laughs> I'm going with a woman. Uh huh. Because um, a a. Was it was it a white South African won two years ago mm-hmm. and then a black gay Jamaican man won last year? Mm-hmm. Now it's time for a woman. Yeah. Um, I also know that the the thrillers are really really exciting right now. That's true. Um, and I am really interested in that kind of callous violence and that that really um unfamiliar character that you're in the head of it's hot for this right now book. it's hot right yeah. now and it's not necessarily hot right now for this book mm-hmm. but it's hot right now for gone girl yeah. and girl yeah. on the train and all of the other books with girl in the title um mm-hmm. so so that's <laughs> yeah. why like well, in the same way that oprah is going against paul Beatty, i'm thinking that the the genre is going for eileen mm-hmm. so Obviously, um, it sure seems like Otessa, and I am only calling her by her first name because I am unsure of how to pronounce her last. It's not as though I know this woman. Um, but, it, you know, it, it seems like on paper she's the perfect candidate for this award. My thought, once again, is that the literary establishment is going to make her wait her, term, wait her turn. Mm. Um, that isn't necessarily fair, um, but I think that she at some point is going to win this award and probably many others, and she's already won a bunch. Um but I don't know if this is going to be. I think this is that. This is the book that ends up on the short list. That then a couple of years from now, when she publishes her next one, um, people look back and say, "Oh, she's already come close before. Now she's going to get it." Um, but but yeah. So on the record, then um, I have picked Paul Beatty's The Sellout, and you have picked Otesha Moshfe. <laughs> How did you say it? You said it better than me. I said Moshfe. Moshfe. Okay. Uh, you have picked Eileen. Um, I have. So there it is on the books. Um, we will wait to see what happens. Someone huh? is going to be doing a three-minute dramatic <laughs> reading, and I hope it's not me. Yeah. Because um, I just really want to hear Eric you read should hope Fifty Shades you, you of Grey. You should hope it's me because I'll do a great job of reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I'll get real into it. I'll use my um, inner feminine sexuality voice I practiced earlier. Mm. Um, so we're ready. I think. I, I think believe it's... we're ready. <laughs> I believe we're ready. Uh, <laughs> so that's so that's um, we want to one thing we want to do on this show. Um, at the end of every episode is talk about a pub tip or a writing tip or a query tip, something for the writers out there as they work on their manuscripts and they think about submitting them to publishers and agents. Um, so we're going to do one of those a week at the end of every episode. So uh, A publishing you, tip or a yeah, writing yeah, tip. Yeah, something that's going to maybe help people think about getting, you know, help them get published in whatever means they're trying to. Um so today, the pub tip I want to talk about, just as a basic little craft thing, is something I've been seeing a lot in the manuscripts I've been looking at, and that's 
using really cliched introspective situations as a means of plumbing the depths of your main character. And I'm thinking specifically of one that really came up uh, three or four times this week in reading manuscripts, which was having your main character talk to his therapist, um, mm. which <laughs> it's just so there's obviously there's nothing wrong with a scene in which your main character talks to his therapist. But like it's pretty on the nose when trying to flesh out inner motivations and things. Right. Like, are you sure you need that? And like um, it just comes off as contrived. It comes off as, you know, unless you're really doing it well or really trying to get off a specific piece of information. I mean, you know, and there are cousins to this technique, and you know some of them too. I mean, it's, you know, staring at the mirror and wondering what it all means. and you know, <laughs> Or doing... like going through your facial features bit yeah. by bit. <laughs> Just anything kind of where the only goal in the scene seems to be to get me to think about whatever the motivations are, as opposed to seeing that character move in space and act in an authentic way. Um it's just, you know, really think hard about those scenes. Do we need to see the conversations with mother? Do we need to see the conversations with, um, you know, the therapist? Do we need to see... The best friend who yeah. is talking about yeah, that exactly. one time you did yeah, this exactly. thing. Yeah, exactly. All these, like, contrived situations where you end up staring at a character's history or recent past um, that really don't... That just wouldn't come up organically and don't necessarily need to be seen by the reader. Um my suggestion is that anytime you feel the need to do that, don't rep- <laughs> don't is the simple way to put it. But maybe think about replacing it with a scene where that same motivation can come out in a less direct way. You know, do something active. Make your character run into some sort of conflict where whatever it is you're trying to get across through the therapy session to your reader, it'll come out as a problem out in the real world. You know, get them off the couch. Get them out in the world. Um, I and guess sprinkle it little bits here and there, you yeah. know, like I, I like yeah. to talk about characters as, you know, as onions, you know, you peel off the first layer. You and, and Shrek like to talk about characters as onions. And parfaits. Mm, yeah. I love a good parfait. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so on that note, um, thank you so much for joining us for our inaugural print yeah, run. Yeah, no, we were really excited about it. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, I know, and I hope we, you did too. So please join us next week for more of the same, but also some brand new things. Yeah, definitely. We got, yeah, we've got all sorts of new material we're going to be trying to work through in the coming weeks. So, <laughs> And we will see you on Tuesday. Sounds good. See ya.